0: This is CrossCut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, we're asking what abortion access looks like in Washington state, after a year that saw the fall of Roe v. Wade, a major political backlash to the decision, and total abortion bans or restrictions in roughly half the country. Freelance reporter Megan Burbank has been covering the issue for CrossCut since well before Roe was overturned. And most of the trends she's observed have only deepened. Because, Megan says, even while Roe was still the law of the land, many Americans faced uncertainty around access to abortion, and lots of people were already crossing state lines to get it. So this episode, we take a look at the way that things have changed, and not changed, after Roe, and where we might be headed. I know that we were sort of hearing rumblings ever since the recent appointments onto the Supreme Court. But I will say that for myself, I was relatively shocked when Roe fell. I was just curious, from your perspective, um, you know, someone who's been covering these issues for, you know, a decade plus, were you surprised?
1: I wasn't surprised. I was, I did, I was shocked. Let's put it that way. Um, I think that even if you are expecting something to happen, there's a profound difference between anticipating something and then actually experiencing it.
0: In a sweeping ruling that overturned a half a century of precedents, five justices ended the right of American women to choose abortion under the Constitution.
1: Leaving it to states to decide whether abortion is legal. My name is Megan Burbank. I am a freelance reporter and editor, and. For Crosscut and everywhere else I write for, I cover reproductive health policy, which lately has included a lot of coverage of abortion policy in the absence of Roe v.ersus Wade. I started covering it in, I guess, 2011, back when I was an intern at The Stranger, a news intern. And there was a, a bill being introduced at the legislature to regulate crisis pregnancy centers, which are these sort of uh, things that resemble clinics but are not clinics um, and are essentially set up to dissuade people from having abortions. And so that was how I got into it was through covering that and just realizing that there was this vast landscape of abortion restrictions and efforts to discourage people from having abortions. And and that, of course, was when we still had Roe in place. So it was a pretty rich political landscape then. And I think it's gotten even more complicated since. Around September 2021, I was doing a lot of coverage of SB8 in Texas, which was their restrictive six-week abortion ban that includes this provision where you can private citizens can sue people for aiding and abetting abortion. And one thing that I can say is that a lot of the providers and activists I was speaking to during that time were all really gearing up for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. When I began to hear it from people who work in abortion care and uh, reproductive health policy, speaking about it with such a sense of clarity, I was, I, I was convinced by that.
0: I was wondering if you could pinpoint a few of the impacts that you've seen in Washington State because of the fall of Roe.
1: Absolutely. And I want to have a caveat up top, too, which is that a lot of these things were already going on in some form before Roe vs. Wade was overturned. I think when we see coverage of Roe vs. Wade, a lot of it sort of takes on this black and white overnight shift framing, this idea that we had access and now we don't. And the reality is that for many people, they didn't meaningfully have access before Roe v. Wade was overturned because it is so geography dependent. Um, And a good example of that is here in Washington, we serve and have served for a long time many patients crossing over the border from Idaho. There has been a gradual increase, and I would say, and that's tied to Roe specifically because Idaho has three abortion bans. The highest court in the state upheld three separate restrictive abortion laws. Yeah, uh, it's
0: confusing. There's so many.
1: Planned Parenthood versus the state of Idaho. This, of course, over those restrictive abortion laws that became law just in the last year. Yeah, so they have a, a near total ban, which essentially bans all abortions. And then they also have a Texas style six-week ban that allows for these sort of vigilante lawsuits. So the impact of that is that more and more people who need abortions are coming to Washington from Idaho, which in turn puts a strain on providers in Washington, which in turn can impact access in Washington because if you are, if you live here and you're seeking care, But you've got all this demand on clinics, it can be much harder to get treatment in a timely fashion. I think that there is this sort of idea that we're on, you know, Eastern Washington is on the border with Idaho. That's where most of the demand would be. In reality, it's more complicated. For example, Cedar River Clinics, which has several locations throughout Western Washington, actually was one of the few networks to open a new clinic um, in Yakima. When I spoke to their communications person most recently, she told me that their greatest influx of of patients from out of state wasn't actually from Idaho, it was from Texas. Um, And it was directly tied to SB8 and that legislation. So there is an increase in people seeking care out across state lines, but in some sense it was already already happening. What is... The fall of Roe catalyzed politically in Washington. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We know Washington state has a long record of standing up for a woman's right of choice. I mean, I think that's one of the first things that happened after the Roe decision initially leaked was that we saw Washington elected officials um, affirming their support for abortion rights and, and trying to come up with these sort of like creative ways of of addressing it, which I think is interesting because for a long time, I think the right has been very creative in its in its sort of efforts to target and prosecute and restrict abortion. And so it's interesting to see more of that energy um, happening on the left right now. I mean, one of the things that our governor is trying to do is to establish a constitutional amendment for the state protecting abortion access.
0: I will be asking the legislators to pass a constitutional amendment under our state's constitution to protect
1: women in our state. When that news came out, I was almost a little skeptical about it because as a person who covers this, I was like, well, we have, we actually have robust state protections for abortion access already. So what, are you simply duplicating that? Is this just sort of a political smoke and mirrors situation? Um, And the argument behind it actually is just that it's a stronger protection abortion rights it's much more difficult to repeal a constitutional amendment than it is to repeal state law so i think that you know the thinking behind it is well the makeup of our state legislature right now is in support of abortion rights but if that were to change at any point in time it's possible that we could see that state level protection go away and so that we've seen sort of efforts like that to to strengthen existing protections, um, the other thing to note is that this was <laughs> this was already happening. Mm. I feel like I just say that all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> the theme here, yeah. Before Roe v.ersus Wade was overturned, a policy called the Affirm Abortion Access Act passed, and it it essentially clarifies that advanced practice clinicians, um, which would include people like physician assistants or nurse practitioners. Um, can provide abortion care if it's part of their sco- scope of practice. Mm-hmm. And it also establishes protections for pregnant people so that they won't be criminalized for pregnancy outcomes that mm-hmm. they have. Um, and so, and that's an important point because one of the things that we do see in states with really restrictive abortion laws is that um, pregnant people have been prosecuted for things like miscarriage, mm-hmm. Um and some states actually have something called fetal homicide laws, which can be enforced in that type of situation. And, and Washington actually has a fetal harm law. And I, you know, I don't envision that it would be enforced in that way, but there was a case I believe in Spokane um, a couple of years ago where that someone actually did attempt to investigate a miscarriage. So it's, hmm. wow. it's worth noting that, there have been these ongoing efforts to affirm reproductive rights in those types of situations in Washington. Something that you've reported
0: on recently is an uptick in um, protests and harassment and violence outside of um, clinics where abortions are provided. And it seems like some of the data and the stories that have come out about this are referring to the past year or two. So in some ways it's like, yeah, is it is
1: it the fall of Roe or is it something else? I think uh, yes, both, both and. Yeah. <laughs> so there's good data from the National Abortion Federation that there's been an increase in clinic harassment and even violence over the past year or the past couple years rather um before Roe versus Wade was overturned. Mm-hmm. I think the effect of Roe is has been sort of instrumental in focusing that type of protesting. Um on states like ours, on states like Washington, like Oregon, like California that have chosen to uphold abortion access. And, you know, I did a story recently for CrossCut about the church at Planned Parenthood, which was, is a group affiliated with Covenant Church in Spokane that held these protests. Well, they don't call them protests. They call them, they're basically church services. So my thought was,
0: let's take the church to what we believe with our faith is the gates
1: of hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, But they held them outside of Planned Parenthood's um, health center in Spokane and actually, just were ordered to pay civil damages for violations of state law that occurred during those protests. The um, Washington State Superior Court judge ruled in favor of Planned Parenthood by granting a preliminary injunction against an anti abortion group. Legal voice. But I spoke with their founder recently, and one of the things that he told me was that they're turning their attention away from states like Tennessee, which is where he lives now and they're turning it toward places like Washington because this is where abortion mm. is still happening,
0: Yeah.
1: right? So if you live in a state where an abortion ban goes into effect, you may no longer have a clinic to pick it, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that there is we are seeing this sort of movement from, from those states to states like ours because this is where abortion is still happening and actually where we can see from data that Abortion care has, has gone up because of demand from out-of-state patients.
0: There's something else interesting that you pointed out in, in some of your reporting about some, I don't know, perhaps loose relationship between the rise in violence on the, on the right and this kind of protest outside of abortion clinics.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, a good example of that is, so the church at Planned Parenthood, the group does have support from folks like Joey Gibson, who is the founder of Patriot Prayer, which is a far right group. Um, And so there is this sort of nexus between sidewalk counseling, um, which is when protesters stand outside of clinics and try to talk people out of having abortions, um, or these sort of more performative protests outside of clinics and this sort of broader right-wing agenda, which is rooted in this idea of white nationalism. And I think that it's kind of important to contextualize it in that way because I think that people feel all kinds of ways about abortion, right? Like I report on this, I know it. People tell me all the time. But I think that there's a significant chasm of difference between feeling complicated about something and thinking no one should have a right to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's helpful to look at where that impulse is coming from. And I think for a lot of these groups, it's tied into this broader agenda of this sort this very sort of um, right wing idea of what a, what people should do, what a family should look like, who should have rights in this country. And it's also tied into a lot of anti-LGBTQ sentiment, Mm-hmm. um and racism and that kind of thing and i think it's it's helpful to understand it within that context because you know like i said people people feel complicated about abortion but that doesn't we don't necessarily see that translate to polling mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. americans overall do not support overturning roe versus weight 70 percent of americans say it should be left to the woman and her doctor one of the interesting things that we've that, that's sort of been thrown into sharp relief since Roe was overturned is that there actually is a lot of popular support for abortion. And I think that it does a disservice to, to readers when we report on this issue as if, you know, it's these two sides that are in opposition and equally weighted, a 50-50 divide, because it's not really that. Um, it's actually like the majority of Americans do support abortion access and there are, there are those who don't, right? Like there's this vocal segment of the right wing who are very opposed to abortion. Um, and, and that's worth reporting on too, but I think a lot of coverage tends to sort of take this 50, 50 approach, which actually doesn't represent, how most people feel about abortion. The first ballot test for abortion rights and the answer was clear and it was decisive and it was in Kansas.
0: Which made abortion rights a part of the state constitution. Voters weighing in in favor of that proposal, 55% to 45%. Organizers behind that petition to put the issue on the ballot say Michigan is just the beginning. As you look ahead at 2023, which is how is it already 2023? But anyway, um, is there something that, that you're going to be watching?
1: Oh, I think there are so many things. This is a, an interesting time to cover the issues that I cover, to say the least. You know, I think one of the things that I'm going to be curious to see is if the sort of renewed interest in reproductive rights that cropped up after Roe was overturned, if that's really going to have an impact um, on local politics in terms of the policies that uh, make it through the legislature this year. There's been a slate of reproductive health policies that are set to be introduced, and I think it's going to be interesting to see if they actually have legs. Another question that's come up, is one of the most surprising things that happened in the wake of Rose Reversal was this sort of renewed municipal support for abortion funds, which are these volunteer operated funds that assist people with paying for abortions, but also for paying, with paying for costs related to them. So things like childcare, things like transportation, lodging, that kind of thing. And what's been interesting to me is to see major municipal and state funding going to those groups. I think that there's been more like an increased sort of awareness of the work that they do um, since Roe. And I'm just going to be interested to see if that continues. And I also think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the anti-abortion movement sort of pivots, um, because I think, you know, and sometimes they've gotten this great victory, right? Roe versus Wade is overturned. That's really something that they've been fighting for. I, I just think that the types of policies that maybe introduced at the state level are going to be unpopular Um, not in Washington that'll be elsewhere but but I think it's it, it all has an impact on us right because we are a state that provides this service when their efforts to restrict it elsewhere we do sort of we feel ripple effects from that
0: all right well great well thank you so much Megan for coming in to talk today. I really appreciate
1: it. Thank you. This has been great.
0: If you'd like to learn more about what life was like before Roe v. Wade, check out Megan Burbank's most recent story for Crosscut. In it, she profiles a Northwest activist and former member of Jane, an underground network of women helping women get safe abortions, even though doing so was a felony. Find it at crosscut.com. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Megan Burbank and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Bumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the live events we host every month, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit Crosscut.com. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.